All right. Well, hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. And thank you, Elder Janice Pappen, for your prayer to the Creator for this very important gathering. My Chief of Staff, Marshall Smith, says you uh, are probably responsible for saving more lives than virtually anyone he knows. So we're grateful to have your, your assistance and your prayers today. I'd like to thank Chief Thomas and all of Council for graciously welcoming and hosting us this afternoon on the Enoch Cree Nation on Treaty 6 territory. And I'm honored to be here with Nick Milliken, who is our Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, as well as Mark Smith, our MLA for Drayton Valley Devon, to mark a milestone in the relationship between the Enoch Cree Nation and the government of Alberta. In Alberta and across Canada, we continue to see the devastating effects of addiction and mental health challenges. These social issues affect everyone, and sadly, this is especially true for Indigenous peoples living in Alberta. Alberta's government is working directly with First Nations and Métis communities to address the addiction crisis in Alberta as partners, and we are stepping up to ensure communities have the support that they need to recover. It's clear that a comprehensive response can only be achieved with the guidance and leadership of Indigenous leaders and communities. We're here to, today to take another step in that continued partnership and collaboration. We're pleased to announce that Alberta's government is signing a memorandum of understanding with Enoch Cree Nation to build a new recovery community on Enoch Cree Nation. As many of you know, Alberta's government is building nine brand new recovery communities across Alberta. And this partnership with Enoch Cree Nation is the second to be built in direct partnership with the First Nation. Like our ongoing partnership with Blood Tribe, we'll be working closely with Enoch Cree Nation to create a recovery community that combines the best practices in addition, uh, in addiction treatment with traditional indigenous ways of knowing and healing. I'm proud to say that Budget 2023 allocates $30 million in capital to build this brand new 75-bed recovery community with construction to, expected to begin later this year. Alberta's government is also committed to supporting the operations of the Enoch recovery community once it opens so that nobody accessing care has to pay out of pocket. As one of the first decisions of our government, we made the decision to remove the $40 per day user fee that was on beds like this. And so these uh, facilities are going to be paid for 100% out of our, our health budget and no one will have to pay out of pocket. Best of all, when this new 75-bed facility opens its doors, it will be capable of supporting up to 300 people each year in the pursuit of recovery. Recovery communities like the one we're building with Enoch marks a monumental shift in the way addiction treatment is provided in Alberta. People are given support, resources, and time to work on their recovery and to rebuild their lives. When all is said and done, Alberta's nine recovery communities will add more than 600 new treatment beds across the province. And with today's announcement, 150 of these will be on First Nations. And this is just one example of how we are working in partnership with First Nations in Alberta to respond to the mental health and addiction needs of everyone in this province. I look forward to working with our partners at Enoch Cree Nation in the months ahead and uh, returning here in the very near future to break ground on this remarkable new facility. Thank you, and I'd like to turn it over to Minister Nick Milliken. Uh, thank you very much, Premier. It is a pleasure to be here uh, with everyone on the Enoch Cree Nation. Today's announcement and MOU signing is a significant step forward in working with First Nation partners on community-led solutions to the addiction crisis. In Alberta and across the country, the addiction crisis has taken a heavy toll on individuals, families, 
and honestly, entire communities. This is clear to anyone who visits downtown Edmonton or Calgary, where the impact is visible, but the toll on smaller, tight-knit communities is often just as evident. In these communities, addiction issues are frequently compounded by a lack of services available locally, leaving families united in their struggles and also all too often united in their grief. This is something many Indigenous communities know all too well. Not only are Indigenous people disproportionately affected by addiction and mental health challenges, they often also face barriers when it comes to accessing treatment. By partnering, partnering with Enoch Cree Nation to develop a recovery community right here on Enoch lands, we're building on our commitment to help with First Nations to increase access to culturally sensitive services. Today's announcement is a result of ongoing efforts by the Edmonton Public Safety and Community Response Task Force to implement initiatives that will increase supports for people struggling with addiction. Building a recovery community in the Edmonton area is an important part of these efforts. Recovery communities are an integral part of Alberta's recovery-oriented system of care, offering holistic, long-term addiction treatment in a supportive environment. Unlike many treatment programs, Albertans can stay in a recovery community for up to a full year and focus exclusively on their recovery, fully committing their time and energy to their health and wellness. Addiction affects every facet of a person's life, and rebuilding all those pieces is all part of the process. During their stay, clients build life skills and resiliency, then they use that momentum to build meaningful, long-term changes in every area of their lives, from physical and mental health to their relationships, finances, employment, as well as housing. I'm proud our government has introduced recovery communities into our province, and while the facility announced today here on Enoch Cree Nation is the latest recovery community announced in Alberta, it's far from the last. There are currently nine recovery communities, as noted by the Premier, under development across the province, including three new recovery communities planned in Grand Prairie, Central Zone, and Northern Zone. Our goal is to make sure that every Albertan struggling with addiction has access to treatment and is supported at every stage of their recovery, which as noted, is a lifetime experience. This new recovery community will increase addiction treatment capacity in the Edmonton metropolitan area, giving more people the opportunity to pursue recovery from addiction and join the thousands of Albertans who are living proof that recovery is possible. Thank you, and now I would like to take the opportunity to turn it over to Chief Cody Thomas of Enoch Cree Nation. Sir, please. Chief uh, Cody Thomas, uh, um, it's an honor to be here today on this historical announcement. Um, we are here to take action as leadership, all of us sitting here. Throughout this whole pandemic and just through our trials and tribulations as First Nations people, there's a lot of healing to do for all of us. We are here today to talk to you about an exciting opportunity that has presented itself to us. We have the chance to bring a new treatment facility to Enoch Cree Nation, Muskegsik, and in, in our, in our language is the land of medicine. I believe it has the potential to greatly improve the health and well-being of our nation and its people. As many of you may know, our nation has struggled with limited access to quality 
residential treatment programming in the past. This has led to a variety of health concerns, including substance abuse and or mental health issues that have gone on untreated for far too long. With this new treatment facility, we have the opportunity to turn things around and reunite our spirit. The proposed treatment facility will offer a range of services such, such as substance abuse treatment and mental health counseling. It would be staffed by qualified professionals whom are dedicated to providing compassionate, evidence-based care to those in need. Not only would this facility help those who are struggling with addiction or mental health issues, it would benefit our entire nation. By providing access to treatment, we can reduce the burden on emergency services and decrease rates of crime and homelessness. Of course, I understand that there may be concerns about the impact of the new facility in our nation, but I assure you that the intent of the treaty is about us, the first peoples of this land that we call Turtle Island. As long as the sun shines and the river flows, the grass grows. We'll work closely with local officials and nation members to ensure that the facility is well managed and that any potential issues are addressed quickly and effectively. I urge you all, Muskegsic members, to join me in supporting this opportunity for our nation. Let us come together to build a brighter future for ourselves in all walks of life. XA. Hi, hi.
Are we on there, Beck? All right. All right, that concludes our formal program. We'll head to media questions. Uh, to get through as many questions as we can, we're going to be taking one question per journalist. We'll start on the phones, and then I'll head to if anybody has a question in the room. So, operator, can you please put the first uh, question through? Thank you. Rick Bell, Calgary Sun. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, Premier Smith, um, I know a decision hasn't been made, but uh, I would like to know how serious you are considering a law on compassionate intervention for drug addicts, and what are you seeing on the ground that would cause you to believe that this might be a way of dealing with people who are a harm to themselves or a, har or a possible harm to others? We've been consulting on this for a number of months with, um, with our Compassionate uh, Care Intervention Act, and the, the approach we want to take is to give people lots of opportunities to voluntarily choose treatment because what we're seeing on the street is the the drugs that are out there now are so deadly we're seeing a higher level of overdose and death than we have in any sort of previous problem when we when we've seen a, a surge of, of illicit drugs on the street and it's a it's it's a problem that peaked during covid and it's still we're not. We're still not back to the levels that we were pre-COVID of a of a, a overdose and death, and we, we we've got to make sure that people have hope that they have a, an opportunity to get into treatment. We believe that every single person has an uh, an opportunity and a pathway to get their lives back, and so we want to be able to to support that with uh, with voluntary measures. Uh, the approach that we're looking at is similar to what they have in Portugal, where they have what they call a dissuasion commission, so that people would have a constant opportunity to come forward, especially if they're having multiple incident, incidents of overdosing, where we would have opportunities to get them into treatment at every turn. And then we're consulting further on whether it gets to a point where they, they would be ordered into treatment. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't quite uh, finished that consultation yet. We want things to be done in a voluntary way first, and we think that providing these opportunities with these recovery communities is, the, is a good first step to get there. But all of this is about saving lives. All of this is about creating an opportunity so that we don't end up losing any more friends and family and loved ones and members of our communities. That's, that's where it's coming from, is that we, we think that this is the most compassionate way to try to address this problem because we're watching people slowly killing themselves on the street and we've got to draw a line and say we're just not gonna let that happen anymore. Operator, next question, please. Thank you, Lisa Johnson, Admission Journal. Hi, thanks for taking my question. I wanted to ask you, Premier, about some of the conversation that's been happening about healthcare and obviously we've seen a bit of a pre-election tit for tat on where you stand in terms of health care um, and how it should move forward. So I just want to get some clarification. We've gone back and forth on this during your leadership campaign. So I know what you've said in the past. I know what you've said in detail in 2021 when you wrote the paper for the University of Calgary. I know what you are saying now. But I'm wondering, is, the ultimate question here is, what do you believe when it comes to public health care? Do you believe fundamentally in the in the health in the Canada Health Act do you believe people should get used to paying out of pocket for health care and do you believe that unemployed Albertans for example who don't have employers to contribute to 
a personal health spending account should have less access to certain types of health care. I, I think there's a lot of things that you need to clarify, and I'm hoping that you can tell us what specifically you believe. I know what your messaging is, but I want to know what you believe health care means in Alberta. Look, I, I believe actions speak louder than anything. And one of the, the first things I've done as premier is sign a 10-year, $24 billion health care agreement with the federal government, where we jointly agree to uphold the principles of the Canada Health Act. One of those main principles is no one pays out of pocket for a family doctor and no one pays for hospital services. That's in writing. It's a 10-year agreement. There's $24 billion additional dollars I've committed to to make sure that we have the funding that we need to support people. We also, when I say actions speak the loudest, we also eliminated the user fees that had been in place under the Notley government. She was charging $40 a day for, public, for access to publicly funded treatment beds. What was one of the first actions our government did was to eliminate that. That was $1,200 a month. It was a barrier to people receiving addiction treatment. And maybe she needs to answer for whether or not she'll bring that back because she certainly didn't, didn't remove it when she had the chance to. We have committed that we are going to make sure that mental health and addiction treatment is an essential part of our healthcare system. We are broadening out our coverage. I think that we are well ahead of any other province in doing so because we feel so strongly about it that untreated mental health issues can turn into addiction issues, which can turn into homelessness issues, which can turn into acute issues. And so that's why we've brought it into the umbrella at both the addiction treatment level, but also mental health and made it an essential part of our healthcare system that is fully funded. There are things that are not funded by the healthcare system. And one of the things that always bothered me as a, when I was a politician last time is that taxpayers paid for me to have a $950 health spending account where I could pay for things like massage and chiropractic and glasses and optometry and dentistry. And I think it's unfair that taxpayers pay for that for politicians, but we don't make those kind of accounts available to the general public. So I think that uh, we need to explore how we can give the same generous level of benefits to everyone that, uh, that politicians have. And that's, um, that's the, the sort of the other part that we're consulting on. And I've asked my technology and innovation minister, Nate Glubish, to look into that. Next question, please. Arthur Green, Western Standard. Thank you, Premier, for uh, taking my question. It's about lab services in Calgary. I'm told that you can't uh, book a lab appointment until mid-June. Uh, what is the UCP going to help to, uh, to alleviate this? In a complication, uh, let me start that again. Uh, thanks for the question, Arthur. There's, there's been a complication in the transition to Dynalife taking over lab services in Calgary. And people are seeing it, they're feeling it. There's been a long delay in being able to get uh, reservations, to get uh, lab work done, and long wait lists uh, or waiting times that are happening in, in the walk-in centers. I, uh, I've, I've spoken with Alberta Health Services official administrator, Dr. John Cowell. They have started an intensive discussion with Dynalife and intensive work on a day-by-day -day basis to address that issue in a matter of weeks. It won't, it won't, we're not gonna let this drag on for months. There is a performance requirement in the contract for Dynalife and we're going to make sure that we give them support in being able to achieve those service expectations. Uh, but there is, and there is a very active discussion, and as I understand that they will be working with Dynalife day by day to give them the support they need so that we can get those, those times down to something um, approaching reasonable. 
All right, next question. Michelle Belfonte, CBC. Uh, hi there, thanks for taking my question. Um, I want to ask uh, about the uh, voluntary uh, treatment for people with drug addictions. Um, one stop the harm a group who lost loved ones or two drug poisonings. I mean, they say that forced treatment could cause more harm. For example, one mother who's a member lost her teenage daughter to a drug poisoning after she left uh, involuntary treatment under the PHAD program. So how do you respond to to people who are concerned that, you know, a person who is in, in involuntary treatment, um, they're against their will, but as soon as they are out of the treatment, they, they just basically uh, go back to using drugs and maybe higher doses than uh, what they would have done before. I would say our approach to begin with is going to be giving people lots of opportunities to voluntarily get into care. We, we have to create the pathways. That's what the announcement is about today, is creating a facility and having nine others like it so that there is a place for people to go where they can be supported in their, their journey of recovery, where they can be, whether it's a month or six months or a year, to have that kind of support to create a new community that would be uh, that will allow them to to be able to to maintain their lives out of addiction. And so our first step, of course, is trying to build all of the opportunities for for voluntary access to those kinds of programs. But let's face it, we we have to ask ourselves the question: when if somebody is is overdosing multiple times a day, if uh, they're having to be brought back to life because they're on the brink of death, if they're having multiple times where they are in acute care because their addiction has brought them there, if, they're, if we're watching them slowly die on the street because of these decisions, do we have an obligation as a society to help them get their individual agency back so that they can make decisions again, so that they are clean and they can make decisions to, 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 to maintain a life of recovery? That's what we're, we're actively consulting on is that we, we think that there's multiple steps that we've taken. The first one being, let's build the capacity. So let's, rem first of all, let's remove the barriers. Let's remove the fees so that we have um, access into the system. Let's ex dramatically expand the number of beds so that anyone who voluntarily wants to have treatment has an entry point. Let's work with Indigenous partners so that we can have culturally appropriate centers so that there's uh, all of the practices that would make another uh, make individuals comfortable returning to, uh, to a life that is drug-free. And then as a last resort, if we are unable to still help some of these folks, do we talk about uh, about uh, uh, compassionate intervention? So we're we're consulting on that on that, but I, I don't want anyone to think it's the first option. It really is a, a last option, and the whole point of it is not to cause harm. It's the exact opposite: is to save lives. I don't know, Chief Cody, if you've got anything you want to say about it. No, and just to add context to that conversation, as a nation, we we're seeing our members in psychosis, and. The resilience that we have as leadership and our, our frontline staff with health, we we tried uh, the mobile crisis response and we still are working towards that initiative, but when are we going to say enough's enough to just watch our people deteriorate and die in the streets? It's not an Edmonton or a Calgary or a province problem. It's, it's We're all in this together and we're all affected by individuals that are addicted. We form, form tandem, they come out in 24 hours and they're back to the same thing at least give them that glimmer of hope. And through this opportunity with the treatment facility to have our cultural component involved of it, who knows our people better than us? Not even just for First Nations, to open ceremony and our teachings to, to all walks of life, to give them that opportunity. 
to have a one-year opportunity, but it's going to be a broader conversation on the aftercare piece too as well. And we're working towards that, but we're, we're taking action. We have to. So I'll just add those comments there. Thanks for that, Chief. All right, next question, please. Audrey Neveau, Radio Canada. Hi, my question is for Chief Thomas. I get the sense that you are in favor of legislating forced treatment of severe drug addiction. Do you support that idea? To a certain extent, I'd, I absolutely support that, that aspect of voluntary. Um, what I mean by that is when an individual is in psychosis and that individual is trying to harm themselves, you have to give them a glimmer of hope. You can't just allow that person to just keep filling themselves with drugs and that spirit, their mind is being clogged by, by these drugs now. It, it, it's not the, the cocaine of the world, it's the heroin, it's the fentanyl that are even laced with marijuana now to where our, our children are starting to be affected by this. So I definitely would be open to that aspect, but it's not, it's, it's voluntary. But if I had a family member that I seen that was struggling with heroin and, and overdosing five times in a day and we're Narcanning them, absolutely, I would give them that option. Next question, please. Olana Smith, Globe and Mail. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I just want to follow up a little bit on the so-called Compassionate Intervention Act. Hoping you can be really, really clear here, especially as you've noted multiple times, Premier Smith, that voluntary care is your focus. Can you explain kind of in depth here under what circumstances your government is considering broadening, you know, the scope for folks with severe drug addiction would be placed into treatment without their consent? Like, why are you leaving or why are you contemplating a law that's outside of the Mental Health Act, which already has provisions for stuff like this, and also PCHAD? Like, why is there a need for new legislation and under what specific circumstances would you want to see people placed into involuntary care? Well, mental health and addiction, well, sometimes tied, um, can be different. My understanding under the Mental Health Act is that it's uh, 72 hours that you are allowed to, to hold someone. And I think most people would recognize that when you're in the throes of a serious addiction, 72 hours is not going to be enough time in, in order for them to be able to make a, a treatment pathway to full recovery. The, the way it's been described to me is looking at the Portugal model where we would set up a, a separate tribunal structure. So we'd have commissioners that would um, ha be able to hear and, and be able to challenge uh, an individual who keeps coming back again and again because they have a, a addiction and overdose. And uh, they would have an opportunity to access a variety of different uh, professionals, whether it's police officers, psychiatrists, doctors, uh, social workers and other counselors, and they'd make a collective decision about whether somebody has gotten to a point where they need to be ordered into care. But the notion behind it is a last resort, is let's have these, I think they're called dissuasion commissions. It's bringing somebody forward and saying, is today the day you're going to get clean? Um, is this, and, and challenging them on the, their behaviors and their actions and giving every single opportunity that they can to get into care. And then the question would be, at what point uh, would somebody uh, be ordered into care? And we're still consulting on that. We, we're looking at what is happening in other jurisdictions. But I, I don't want you to, to think that that is the, the first option. It, we really want to try every other option first, removing the fees, dramatically expanding the access to treatment, 
building out more recovery communities, creating the option of connecting people with services in a regular, focused, consistent basis. And then the last step would be one that we need to do some more consultation on to see uh, at what stage a person would be ordered into treatment and for how long. So we're, we're looking at the evidence from around the world. I think we just have all recognized that uh, the crystal meth and the fentanyl and the carfentanyl are a lot more serious a problem that is becoming really, really difficult to, to overcome that we're still seeing, even though we've had some successes in bringing the rates down relative to British Columbia, we still have an elevated rate of people who are overdosing on a regular basis and uh, sadly dying from their addiction. And we just want to stop the deaths. That's what this is about. We, um, we've had a number of different things that have been tried over the years and uh, it's not working. So we've got to try something else and, and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get some good guidance looking at international evidence so that we know where that line is. Did you want to say anything more on that, Minister? As you, uh, <clears throat> happy to, as you know, um, in my mandate letter, I was tasked to uh, take a look at uh, essentially ways that we could potentially intervene when we have these individuals who are op overdosing five to six times a day, um, we have to find a way to ensure that they can get treatment. But I, I think what I wanna also be clear on this is that uh, as stated, I think in one of the premises of, uh, maybe it was the previous question, there haven't been any decisions on this uh, at this stage yet. What, we, what, what I can say is ministry officials, as you would expect when someone, when the premier tasks the minister to do this, we have to look at all options, right? So we have to do our due diligence and that's exactly what we're doing. We are doing our, as a citizen of Alberta, I would expect my government to do their due diligence on these types of issues and that's exactly what we're doing. Great, next question. Thank you, Gurchan Buttar, my radio 580. Hello, thank you. Thank you for taking my question. And my question is yes, uh, this is a very good initiative by your government, uh, Premier, but my question is what we can do to prevent this? Next generation, we can, we can have enough awareness that we can prevent them uh, taking the drugs and getting into this situation. What kind of program your government is running at this point? Well, um, I think you're, the question was, what can we do to prevent people from getting into to drug addiction in the first place? I hope I, I, hope I um, have summarized your question correctly. And I wish yes, we knew, yes, you did. I, you Thank know, you. I, wish, I wish we knew the answer to that. Uh, I wish we knew how we could stop people from getting into this state in the first place. I think we have a part of the answer. Part of the answer is that we, we do know that sometimes untreated mental health issues can become addiction issues and then addiction can turn into homelessness. And it's part of the reason why we have, at the same time as investing in recovery communities, are also investing in, in mental health supports. When, when we started, there was $87 million spent on mental health and addiction. We, that's now up to $275 million. And we announced a number of different partnerships um, aside from our recovery communities, a $92 million support for CASA, which is a, a, um, a mental health treatment facility for youth. We have the Summit, which is also a mental health uh, treatment facility in Calgary for youth. We gave $10 million to them. There's a, I was just in Red Deer at a child advocacy center. They're building a, a brilliant facility to be able to, to also, I think, offer 18 beds on, on mental health support for young people. I, I think that our view is, and we're, we're willing to invest a lot of money to, to try to address this, is that if we can help people to deal with 
their traumas and help them to address issues of PTSD or um, past abuse, that if we can assist them in, in getting through that at a younger and younger age, then it won't manifest in, in some of the uh, addiction and, uh, and, other, and other issues that we see that, that go along with that. So we, we don't think that this is a one, just a one bullet solution. We, we think that you have to, to deal with this and tackle it a number of different ways. It's why we've got a number of different mental health supports in the school system with uh, education minister Adriana Lagrange is why we've got our recovery communities we've got our mental health community support that we're doing we are building ad addiction treatment into our correction facilities as well so that provides another pathway and it's why we have pack teams in Calgary and Edmonton embedded with our police and sheriffs so that we have um, individuals who are um, just skilled and trained in social work and connect people to the resources that they need to, to address them. So it's a whole menu of options that, that we're pursuing. I'm sure I missed a couple. I'll, I'll let Minister Milligan respond to that. But I, I think if, if we could stop people from, from ever trying drugs or ever succumbing to addiction, someone would have figured out how to do that, that by now. We're, we're hoping to, to mitigate the harm, reduce the number of people who fall into that path, and catch them when they fall and, and find a pathway back to independence. Minister? Yeah, um, by building out this recovery-oriented system of care that we're doing in Alberta, we are um, building out essentially a, a, a four-pillar system where it's prevention, intervention, treatment, and recovery. Pre prevention is absolutely um, important. Uh, as the Premier mentioned, we went from, in 2019, a line item in the budget of $87 million to now 275 So there's a lot that we can sit here and list out. Um, what I would say is uh, for an individual uh, in that uh, one thing that I would actually uh, quickly note is with regards to the integrated school support programs that we're building out now across the province, youth mental health is such an important issue for people that I talk to at the doors, uh, for all Albertans really. And so uh, ag again, I don't wanna uh, state something that the Premier already noted, but I do just wanna re reiterate that uh, the $92 million that were announced for CASA uh, with their mental health uh, house. This is uh, up in Grand Prairie, down in Calgary, uh, also with mental health classrooms. So individuals who maybe aren't really uh, at that acute stage where they should be um, in, a, in an emergency room, but have, have pretty significant issues. I think a lot of people call it the, mis the missing middle. And so we're building out those supports to ensure that, uh, that, that individuals can also know what prevention uh, aspects are out there. One thing that I always tell people is our government has done an amazing job building out the two-on-one system. So I tell everybody that if, if you or someone you know are experiencing uh, mental health issues, early stages, et cetera, anywhere on that continuum, um, or addiction issues, call 211. It's, uh, it's an amazing service that will help uh, uh, instruct you as to what are some of the services in your local area. So this is, this is province-wide. One last one to touch on too, on the province-wide angle is the fact that it can be difficult in certain areas of the province maybe to uh, get in-person in counseling services, et cetera, when you need it. And so we actually build out Alberta counseling to a level, both in-person and virtually, across the province to ensure that anybody uh, who needs uh, those kind of services for mental health issues, especially on that one, uh, that they're available to you. So. Thank you. And uh, I should probably have mentioned the virtual opioid dependency program that is as well. Make, such a, yeah. Why don't you talk about sure. that? Sure. Thank you. That is such. It's it's an award-winning program. Um, anybody, we've uh, 
we've achieved treatment on demand with regards to virtual, uh, with, with the virtual opioid uh, <coughs> dependency program. This means that anybody anywhere can just call a number, get connected with an addiction uh, 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 mental health uh, individual who can assess, uh, an addiction physician who can assess you, um, and you can literally that day, uh, same day service for uh, opioid agonist therapy um, for free. We're the only province actually in the country that has fully funded Sublicade, which is the 30-day shot. Individuals who are on oat medication or opioid agonist therapy, uh, numbers out there are that 95% in that area of individuals uh, on oat uh, can stabilize. And what that, that, what that then does is it allows them, uh, you know, that, uh, that ability to then, through our system of the recovery-oriented system of care, that holistic aspect, that wherever they are, uh, that they can then be helped towards uh, looking at the various treatment opportunities uh, that are out there so that hopefully they can enter into a life of productive recovery, uh, which as noted prior in some of my earlier comments too, is it, it's a lifetime experience. So thank you very much. All right, next question, please. Thank you, Kieran Levitt, Toronto Star. Hi there, thanks for taking my question. Um, I wanted to ask about, uh, you're coming up on the deadline here of the, the, the defamation lawsuit notice that you'd sent to CBC. Um, and I, I just curious as to, you know, we're a few days away and I just wanna know what your commitment level is at right now. I mean, CBC has said, they, they're standing by their reporting. There's been no apology as of yet. You're a few days out. What is the percentage level in terms of commitment of actually filing that? Look, I'm, we're a few days out from another pretty monumental thing that's going to happen in this province too, and that's an election call. So I'm focused on that right now and will be until May the, the 29th election day. All right, next caller, please. Catherine Grykowski, Alberta Today. Hi, um, question about the timeline for these recovery communities, because as you say, people are dying now. Um, the Red Deer recovery community, I understand the construction is complete, but we haven't moved in. So what's the timeline for these nine recovery communities? And I was also wondering, will the um, Compassionate Care Act be in the election platform? The recovery community in Red Deer, my understanding, is that they are just getting a, their director in place. They've been doing some sort of deficiency work on the building because it's the very first building, um, getting people trained up. Um, my understanding is it's intended to take patients in the middle of next month, so the 15th of next month. The other communities uh, are, I, I should actually, let me get Nick to respond because I know that we're very close on Lethbridge and Calgary. And then with this one, we had hoped, we hope that we'll be able to start construction in the uh, fall so that it can be open in, in 2024. Nick, can you just maybe talk about the timeline for all of them? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you uh, very much for the question. I think what it shows, too, is just the importance of what we're doing here in Alberta with the recovery-oriented system of care. Whether it's the 10,000 spaces uh, for treatment that were mentioned, whether it's obviously making it so, as you know, under the previous government, you had to pull out your credit card in order to access publicly funded treatment uh, spaces in many cases. And then of course with the virtual opioid dependency program, we're decreasing barriers, making sure that individuals can, can enter into treatment. On the, uh, on the recovery communities, I think this capacity build that we're doing really just shows that how unfunded it was under previous governments. 
And so what we realized when we first came in in 2019 is we kind of did a heat map with regards to where there was treatment capacity. We saw that there was essentially a treatment desert down in the, in, in the southern parts. So obviously uh, the, the, uh, the minister at the time, Minister Luan, and then Minister Ellis, and then myself, uh, now um, looked at these areas and really started to build out as much treatment capacity as possible. And it takes time to build these buildings as you would expect. Um, so Red Deer, as noted, is uh, it's completed with regards to construction. I expect it should be taking clients in the next few weeks. Uh, you've got Lethbridge that should be later in the spring. You've got the uh, Blood Tribe uh, recovery community that should be, I want to say, early 2024. Um, I think there's going to be uh, another announcement coming relatively quickly with regards to Calgary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Edmonton, obviously, we're talking about what an amazing, like, what an amazing announcement today, uh, with the partnership with the Enoch Cree Nation. Thank you so much for for having us here as well. Uh, Grand Prairie, uh, as well, is uh, on the books. Uh, a lot of these are at one stage of, of of construction or design, and then just recently, uh, as noted, we went from 87 to 207, 87 million as a line item. Uh, in 2019, it's 275 million now in budget 2023. That's 37% above the 200 million that we had last year as well. And through that, we then managed to get a couple more, three more actually uh, on the books, uh, including I think another one in the North Zone and another one in Central. It just really showcases how this government is taking real action to ensure that individuals who are in the throes of addiction have the opportunity to enter into uh, treatment, and then, of course, live a productive life of recovery. And again, thank you very much for having us here, too, because mm -hmm. uh, the partnerships uh, that that we have uh, with yourselves, uh, with Enoch, with Blood Tribe, uh, are, are, are extremely important to ensure that individuals uh, can, of course, uh, have that opportunity co to continue in recovery. I should just, I have a note here of the where the nine recovery communities are planned or underway. So Red Deer, Lethbridge, Gunn, Blood Drive, Enoch, Calgary, Grand Prairie, and then Central Zone and North Zone. So there'll be other ones planned in the in those zones, and we're uh, we'll be working on finalizing contracts there. The approach that we've taken here, which is why I think we can we'll be able to move quite quite quickly on the construction, is that there was an awful lot of work done in the design, and so. I don't know if um, you've had a chance to tour the, the Red Deer community. We have had a number of tours that have gone there. It gives you an idea of the footprint that we will use for, for many of them. Uh, Blood is going to be a different design because we want to make sure that we're building in uh, indigenous architecture and indigenous elements to it. But that will then become also a design model that, that we'll be able to, to, um, to bring to other nations. So I think a, the design work can be the hardest part of uh, any construction. I, I know that I've talked to other builders before. Sometimes the design part can take up to six years. So the design work is done. And now that we're into the construction phase, it is a matter of, of, of assigning the, the MOUs and the construction will be able to, to proceed very quickly once we begin to, to break ground. Can we have a question from the floor as well? Hello, um, Danny Parody, APTN. My question is regarding um, provincial indigenous court. There's often wellness plans and people currently waiting for treatment. Uh, will this new center or the other eight centers prioritize uh, people who are waiting for voluntary treatment who've gone through this uh, court system? I don't know if I know the answer to that. I'm seeing my chief of staff nodding. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know if we should get somebody else to come up to the mic to be able to answer <laughs> Sorry, that question. Sorry, I know it's a niche question. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead, Chief? Yeah, that, that is the intention for 
Um, that court system, a lot of our, our members and, and First Nations are going through that court process and it does help give them a hand up instead of a handout. So definitely that, that is the, in, the expectation of this treatment facility. Thank you. That's all for today. Thank you. Thanks everyone. Thank you.